0: Good morning. morning. Today we are talking about everybody's two favorite topics. The first is money. So we'll be sure to take up a special offering at the end today. Let you make a little vow of faith. Plant a little seed money. And secondly, we're going to talk about anxiety. And that's good that we're talking about anxiety because after last week's sermon, Mark had all of us go home and immediately cancel that camping trip that we had planned. For fear of being eaten by wolves. Maybe we'll just take a little walk around the block and say, oh, wait, we can't. We might be kidnapped on the road and held at gunpoint. Thank you, Pastor Mark. So, money and anxiety are on the table this morning. We're in the middle of a sermon series that we've called No One Can. And in this series, we're looking at these exclusive statements that Jesus makes that he begins with those three words No One Can. And thus far we've considered a number of no-one-can statements. No one can see the kingdom unless they are born from above by the Spirit. No one can take Jesus' life from him. He lays that down of his own accord for you. No one can come unto Jesus unless the Father draws them. And no one can snatch you away from Jesus because you are safe and secure in his hands. These no one can statements are important because these no one can statements tell the story of your life. And thus far, we've considered statements that really fall into a broader category of how we enter into this kingdom. But today's statement is a little bit different. Today, we consider a statement that comes down to ground level and considers not so much about how we enter into this kingdom, but how we live by the values of this kingdom. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve God and money. And right there we cringe a little bit. And we think easy now. Hands off. I love hearing about God rescuing me and saving me. I love that God has handled my eternity. But don't start poking around on my bank account. Don't start doing a financial audit on my life. Tim Keller tells a story about how years ago he did a men's prayer breakfast. And in this prayer breakfast, they were going through the seven deadly sins each week. Envy, pride, lust, and so on. And his wife Kathy asked him, she said, are you publicizing what each sin is? so that they know what they're going to be covering each week. And Tim said, yeah, we're, we're letting everybody know what we're going to be covering that week. And she said, I bet the week you talk about greed is the least attended. Tim's like, why? She said, just see what happens. Turns out she was right. The week he talked about greed, there's hardly anybody there. Why is that? I mean, I think on the surface, the easy answer is that people just don't like to talk about money that's true. You don't like that I'm talking about money today. We don't like talking about money. I think the real answer is because people don't think they're greedy. Greed is deceptive. Greed has a powerful way of hiding itself in our lives. That's partly because when we consider our own use of money, we very quickly look outside of ourselves and compare ourselves with others. So we look at that neighbor that's driving that Mercedes. Or we look at a neighbor who just posted a picture of a vacation, or that home project that just got finished up. We see our neighbor or our friends that always seem to be wearing new clothes or having new toys, and we think, well, at least I don't spend money like that, right? And yet, isn't that a bit hypocritical on our part? We don't like it, When Jesus pokes around on us and does a financial audit on our lives. And yet, isn't that exactly what we are doing when we compare ourselves with others? We can easily find someone else that makes us look frugal in how we spend our money. Make no mistake, greed is deceptive. Because greed can so easily hide itself, especially in a culture like ours. I read this week about a new documentary that premiered just recently on HBO. The documentary is called Fake Famous. and It's a documentary that tries to expose how ripe our culture is for manipulation. And this documentary explores the strange world of social media influencers. If you don't know what an influencer is, an influencer Is somebody that can make money simply because they have a lot of followers on social media, and so businesses pay them to advertise their products through their accounts because of the exposure that it will give these businesses. The documentary talks about the fact that it used to be that people were famous because they had a skill. They were an artist. They were an author. They were an athlete or an actor. Or a chef. Can I get a amen, Kenny? They had some sort of skill that made them famous. But now, due to the onset of reality TV, people are just famous for being famous. And so in this documentary, the filmmaker took three normal people to set out on a little quest to see if he could transform these people into influencers and make them fake famous. So he started off by giving each of them a makeover. And then he used a few thousand dollars so that he could buy thousands of followers for each of their social media accounts, which really were just bots posing as followers. And lastly, he rented a mansion and private jets for photo shoots. And the filmmaker is trying to point out that none of this has to actually be true. The whole industry is built on simply presenting a lifestyle that people want to mimic. In fact, he said, it's a no-questions-asked kind of industry, because it's in no one's best interest to expose the deception. As long as a certain lifestyle is fabricated, then, well, the rest is history and the money is made. And you might think, oh, what a weird little subset of our culture. No, 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 hardly. There was a recent study that just came out, and it said it surveyed children between the ages of 6 and 17. And it found that 50% of children between the ages of 6 and 17, when surveyed, said that their career of choice is to be an influencer. 50%. Billions are made in this manufacturing of online lifestyles that have zero connection with reality. And the filmmaker, Nick Bolton, he summed it up quite nicely. He said it's an industry that has monetized making you feel worse about your life because of what you don't have. Now, what's my point? Well, who's gonna feel greedy living in that type of culture? Who's gonna feel greedy living in a culture that is obsessed with excess, lifestyle brands, influencers, and a media machine that constantly shows you what you could have and constantly reminds you of what you don't have. It's the very envy that drives people to follow these accounts that hides the very greed that drives the industry. Always giving us a built-in excuse that says, well, at least I don't have that. How could I possibly be greedy? But Jesus talks about money differently, in a completely different way. He doesn't say, blessed are those who spend less than their neighbor. Instead, he wants to reorient you. He doesn't want you to look outside yourself. He wants you to look at the inside. Because money isn't about your relationship with others. It's about your relationship with God. And Jesus says that the place that money has in your life reflects the place in which you've placed God in your life which makes money an incredibly important topic in the life of faith, which is why Jesus talks about it so much. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants you to have real wealth. And so if you're honest with yourself this morning, what's your relationship with money? How often do you think about it? Do you feel like you have too little? I'm positive nobody just thought that they have too much. If so, please, let's talk after the service. But honestly, do you live in constant worry about whether you're going to have enough? Do you live in this constant cycle of buy it now and buyer's remorse? Where does money fit in your life? What power does it wield? And that's an important question to think about because Jesus, at the heart of his teaching on money, he tells you exactly where money wants to fit into your life. He says that money wants to sit on that throne inside your heart. It resists being a servant, and instead, it wants to be served. It wants to master you. It is masterful in its ability to prey on the subconscious insecurities and desires that influence us in ways in which we aren't even aware of. So in his teaching, in this passage, Jesus wants to reorient us by beginning with a simple kingdom perspective of life. It's not complex. He says in verses 19 to 21, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or sorry, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and so for us to have the kingdom perspective that jesus wants us to have and for us to have the kingdom perspective towards money and its place in our lives jesus just starts by placing the two realities of our existence right in front of us earthly and the eternal. And he says to focus on the imperishable riches that come and are stored up through a life of faithful discipleship and devoting yourselves to the kingdom and the purposes, the plans and mission of God instead of focusing on the perishable riches of this world. It's quite simple. But don't start immediately going to extremes with that. Because Jesus doesn't say store up treasure in heaven by renouncing all earthly wealth. Jesus doesn't say store up treasure in heaven by never owning anything or emptying your bank account as soon as you leave. He's not trying to make you feel guilty because you have a healthy 401k. He doesn't say that because what he's after isn't about how much you own. It's about what owns you. He wants you to live in light of eternal realities, to live in light of the fact that this life is but a vapor. It's here and gone in a moment. And Jesus doesn't want us just to give mental assent to that fact every time we attend a funeral. He wants that reality and that truth to shape how we live each and every day. And that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I know it's hard for me. We know how easily those two realities get lopsided and reversed. How we can stew over earthly treasure and how little we can think of heavenly treasure. On Christmas Eve, just a few weeks ago, I drove my wife's car to Target to do a last-minute curbside pickup order, and as soon as I got there, it was crazy traffic, people doing last-minute shopping, people all over the place. But there, waiting for me, is spot number one in the curbside pickup lanes. So I pull in, had to wait about 30 minutes because they were so busy. And right as the guy was coming out to give me my order so I could leave, Melissa's car dies. Just dies. So I try to start it. Nothing. Dead as a doornail. I'm like, this is fantastic. Merry Christmas. So... A white knight in shining armor named Matt Fuquay arrived with his noble steed Ford F-150 to jump me in this crazy, chaotic parking lot. Then I tried to get it to the mechanic the following week, but he was closed for the week of Christmas, and so finally it turned into a week-long ordeal. The alternator went out. 600 bucks. Bam. All right, life happens. We can get through this. Two weeks later, I leave the church building after Sunday worship services, get in my truck, nothing, wouldn't start, dead as a doornail, so I had to call Melissa, told her to come, give me a jump, so she loads the kids up in the car and drives up, and as I'm sitting in my truck, waiting for her to get there, I'm thinking, I just spent $600 so that she could just drive up to jump me right here in this moment, so then I had to take my truck in, its alternator went out. And as I'm sitting there swiping my card, I am not thinking, Lord, I just glory in heavenly treasure right now. This earthly wealth is nothing compared to the eternal riches that await. No, none of that. My thoughts could be expressed by the words of the great prophet, the notorious B.I.G. Mo' money, more problems. Takes a lot of money to live in our world especially our corner of the world, things fall apart, cars break, your kids need braces, or your washing machine breaks the first week of the quarantine and the lockdown last March and floods three rooms in your house. Life happens. And that is exactly the point of Jesus's teaching here. He wants you to see the world as it is, not the way you want it to be. This broken world constantly pushes back against the accumulation of wealth, security, and comfort. Why? Because thorns and thistles it shall bear for you. Only by the sweat of your brow. And really, to cling to the treasures of this world is, in the end, completely unreasonable. Because no matter how hard you and I try, we can never make this world work for us it will never be heaven and we know this to be true don't we we inherently know the value of earthly treasure and how fleeting it is it's for the same reason we all know obituaries don't list a person's net worth how silly and awkward would it be if they listed out their assets and all the details of their financial portfolio why because who cares What's it all amount to? Nothing. It amounts to absolutely nothing. We inherently know that in death, there is no upper, middle, or lower class. We all leave this world flat broke. And even as Christians, we know how we can devalue the eternal wealth and riches that a life of faithfulness can store up. And how instead we focus on earthly treasure. Knowing full well, We leave all of that behind. And our priorities get lopsided. Why? Because our view of wealth is an issue of the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why Jesus then moves on to verse 24 and he says, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve God and money. And we still try to figure out a way to make that work, right? Are you sure, Jesus? Like, we can't come up with a deal. I can't do both. And he says, no. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve God and money. But the real question is why? Why is that the case? The reason is because both God and money vie for that same real estate in your life. They both want to sit on that throne inside your heart. And your heart can't ultimately be divided between the two. Devotion to one sacrifices devotion to the other. Jesus wants you to see not money as something that you have, but to recognize that money wants to be your master. How so? Well, let's just unpack it from a different angle. Think about Jesus' statement like this. We approach money... In the same way that we should approach God. We approach money in the same way that we should approach God. Or more simply put, we replace God with money. So we desire security. Do we not? I know I do. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. We know the world is dangerous and unpredictable. Alternators go out. Tragedies happen. We know this world bites back. We all want security. That's not a bad thing. But how easy is it to believe that money will provide it for you? We look at our bank account and think about whether or not we have enough to make us feel safe. Whether or not we have enough to get us through hard situations. We want to know that we have enough so that we won't be left destitute. We want to be able to keep the world a broken world, at bay, and provide some padding and cushion in life. And whenever money begins to sit on that throne, we start to believe that it can give us control and power over circumstances and situations in life. And sure, you may have enough money to allow that illusion to last for a while, but one day it won't one day everything that you have will be able to do nothing to stop or remove that diagnosis it will never be able to bring back what you really value in a loved one that's the thing about illusions in the end they don't last we want money to provide us with that security and so our hearts say like the psalmist you are my refuge you are my high tower We look to money for security, but we also look to money for satisfaction. Because who hasn't thought, man, if I just had that? If I just had that? I mean, how many times in a week do we think something along those lines? Man, if I just had that, wouldn't life be better? And all the unreasonable things we think. You know, if I had that, I'd probably never buy anything else again. Like, I would just be so satisfied with that. I'll never spend any, any more money on toys or trinkets. Life would be so much better. We've all thought that. Because we're constantly presented with toys and buying options and lifestyle brands and lifestyle products that promise to make life exactly what we want it to be. Order, peace, rest, joy, all of these things can be yours. And it's in this world of endless lifestyle possibilities that our money preys on all of that dissatisfaction and hunger for something more that's within us. And money makes promises to you. It says what? It says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll lead you beside still waters. I'll restore your soul. This is exactly why Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Because your money will try to sell you the same promises as your God. It wants to sit on that throne and make you think that you can circumvent your need for God. And when that happens, it creates the deception that money is serving you. But in reality, you are serving it. Because you give it your trust and devotion. And whatever has your trust and devotion has your heart. And whatever has your heart is your master. So how do you know if that might be you? Well, very simply, the result of a wrong view of money, when it begins to sit on that throne in our hearts, is that it actually becomes an incredible source of anxiety in your life. Because you live in this constant realization that it makes promises that it can't keep. And it's the anxiety that comes from still believing them. Anxiety that comes from feeling like you don't have enough. Afraid of what might be around the corner. The anxiety that comes from feeling vulnerable in this unpredictable world. Or maybe it's just the anxiety that comes from just being discontent with life. Feeling dissatisfied and discontent because you constantly feel like something better is out there. It's the type of anxiety that settles into our lives when we look to money to provide what in the end only God can offer you. So how does Jesus speak to that anxiety? What does he say? Well, he says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Do you see how Jesus wants you to see life as it really is? But in that, he also wants you to see and know something more. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Your existence is about knowing and experiencing something more. Listen to his words to you in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? In verses 28 and 30, he says, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus wants you to know exactly what that more is. And it begins by recognizing that you don't just have a God. You have a heavenly father who is rich in power and provision beyond measure. And to him, you are precious. To him, you are precious. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. What Jesus is doing is that he's presenting to you the only remedy for this kind of anxiety. It's realizing your value to your heavenly father. It's realizing your value to your heavenly father. Because doesn't anxiety make you feel so small and insignificant? Doesn't it make you feel alone? Who feels like they really matter when they're anxious? And yet Jesus here comes along and asks you, why do you think you are worth so little? Why do you think you are worth so little? What in this world would you give your child for? Is there anything at all that you would sacrifice just one of your children for? No." And yet you have a story where God gave his only son for you. Behold the generosity of your father. A father that wouldn't spare his own son. A father that resurrected your heart so that you could see his kingdom. And a son that said, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord for you. As an expression of my love for you and the father's love for you. Do you know how valuable you are to the Father? Why would he let you fall apart? He wants you to know your value to the Father, but he says you will not find him out there when you begin to compare yourself to the world. He doesn't operate by buy it now and next day delivery options. He says you have to find it by meeting him in the very place he wants most. It's in your heart. This is why Jesus stresses the importance of seeing the world as it is. Because then you're ready to stop looking outward. And you start looking inward at your own heart. And it's in those moments of anxiety and restlessness that in the end, once he's saying, those are actual real opportunities. Because then you start to look inside and you begin to start asking real questions. What am I afraid of? What am I scared of? What is it that I expect to happen? What am I really looking for? Why am I so discontent and dissatisfied? Those are the questions that are searching for something better than this world can offer you. It's because then, in that moment, you look inward and you recognize all of that angst, all of that turmoil within you, you recognize that there's nothing in this world that's going to provide it. It doesn't exist. It's only in those moments where you look inward, in those moments that you can offer your trust and your devotion to your Heavenly Father. And you can begin to live by a different set of values. You begin to draw on different resources. And you begin to know this Father to whom you are so precious. And it's only then and it's only there that you will ever find the security and the satisfaction that you desire. It's easy when we think about money to think of God as some cosmic tax collector that just comes to take his cut. That isn't how Jesus talks about money, is it? We struggle to remember that God wants, to, wants us to give him something far greater than our money. It's because he wants to give us something far greater than money can buy. He wants more of your heart so that you can have more of him. A good friend of mine told me a story about whenever he was first married, didn't have two pennies to scrape together, had hardly anything, living week to week, day to day. And they were at a church service, and the pastor was talking about generosity and seeking first the kingdom. The themes of our passage today. And as he was preaching, this person just said they felt so convicted. They felt like they needed to give. And so they wanted to give. And they wrote a check right then and there. And they gave something that they felt was generous. And it was sacrificial. Went on. Three days later, they were looking at their bank account and realized they'd made a mistake. They'd overdrafted their bank account by hundreds of dollars. Total mistake. Simple mistake but sitting there with this large overdraft on top of those overdraft fees. And you know when you have hardly any money, those overdraft fees feel like they are insurmountable and all that anxiety just rush in in that moment, like, my God, what am I going to do? then right about then, the phone rings. And he picks it up. They say, hey, is this so-and-so? And And they say, yeah. And he said, look, I'm I'm a deacon at this church. And he said, I'm really embarrassed to call you, but today... um, I put my pants on and I found your check in my pocket. I have no idea how it got there, but I did the count on Sunday and I found it in my pants pocket today. The problem is, is that I washed them and your check is pretty much destroyed and I could barely make out your name to even know whose it was. So I'll be sure to bring it back to you on Sunday. Thank you. (laughs) Click. And in talking with that person afterwards about what that taught them. They learned something profound that they've never forgotten. They felt God communicate to them in that situation. I'm not really after your money. I'm after your heart. And you can trust me. I'm going to make sure you're okay. Will you give me your heart? And he said since then, he writes the check and he knows that he's going to be fine. That's security that money can never buy. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? Let's pray.